Welcome home. As you listen to New Life the Fort, may you continue to experience the fullness of joy, life, and Christ in the days ahead. Proverbs 4, 23 says, Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. Father, as we come before you today, that's exactly what we're doing. We are keeping our heart with all diligence before you because we know that everything flows out of our heart. And so we thank you that in this time that we have with you, you will continue to reveal more and more of who you are and place that into our hearts so that we can live the fullness of your life out in our lives. I pray that we all have ears to hear what the Spirit of God is saying, that we have eyes to see what he is doing beyond the natural, and that our hearts and our minds are ready to receive understanding so that we can live life out whole and complete. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen and amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I love this scripture in Proverbs 4.23. We, we read it a lot here. And it really is true that we need to be keeping our heart with all diligence. Last week, Pastor Alvin had shared with us, and I think at this service you had a video, but he was still sharing with you, and I believe that you were imparted to, even through a video. But one of the greatest responsibilities that God himself has given us as individuals is to guard or protect our heart to steward our heart. There is nobody else in all the world that can steward your heart. If you're married, your spouse cannot steward your heart. You have to make a choice. You have to make a decision on a daily basis to allow things into your heart or to not allow things into your heart. And so that stewardship has been given to us. It's exactly the way God did it with Adam. In the garden, God gave him stewardship over the garden. And he wanted Adam to keep and tend the garden. It was Adam's responsibility. Nobody else. He didn't tell elephant, it is your job to tend and keep the garden. It was Adam's job to tend and keep the garden. But you see, the same way God spoke to Adam to tend and keep the garden, our hearts are God's garden. Our hearts are ground. We've talked about this with the parable of the sower. Our hearts are ground. And what happens when seed is released, it is meant to produce something. Whether the seed is good or bad, when it's planted in the ground, it will produce something. But the stewardship of our, of our heart will allow the good seed to come in and we will tell the bad seed, uh-uh, you're not coming anywhere near me. And so we want to be able to walk in that full responsibility, not saying, well, it was the woman you gave me. It was my husband's fault. It was my child's fault. No, God speaks to us each personally and individually. Keep your heart with all diligence. Keep your heart with all diligence. Why is it so important to keep your heart? Well, last week, Pastor Alvin talked about a heart condition. That every single one of us was born with a heart condition. 
Now, when you talk about a heart condition in the world, it's always a negative thing. There's always something wrong with the heart. Maybe the heartbeat is erratic. Maybe it beats too fast. Maybe it beats too slow. Maybe there's a hole in somebody's heart. Maybe somebody's had a heart attack and they have to take care of what they're eating. Whatever it is, a heart condition is a bad thing. And every one of us was born with a heart condition. And this heart condition was leading us to heart failure. And what does heart failure produce? Death. See, this condition that you and I were born with and into was sin. In Romans 5, the Bible says that for Adam sinned, and when he sinned, death came into the world. And because death came into the world, everyone sinned. Everyone sinned because we came from that line of Adam, from that line of mankind. And so we were all born with this heart condition, and a heart condition that you and I could not change. Do you know that when you have a heart condition, or your heart is failing, you actually wait for a heart donor, because you need a transplant. You have to change the heart. You just don't take medicine to make things better. It has to be a complete change of heart. It's not even your own. But you know that a heart donor has to make a choice to give you their heart. And a heart donor needs to die before you can get that heart. Jesus made the choice to come out of heaven, become man just like you and me, without the, the heart condition that man had, so that he could give us a whole and complete heart. But he had to die for that to happen. And the moment that he died, when you and I believed in that, he took out that old heart, that heart of stone, that heart that wanted to do everything its own way and gave us a heart of flesh that now could respond to God himself. But God the Father made that choice and the Son said, I'm willing to do it. I'm willing to give my heart for the heart of mankind. I will become their substitute. In Ezekiel, the father prophesies this through Ezekiel. And it says this in Ezekiel 36, 26 to 27. It says, I will give you a new heart. See how God takes the responsibility. He knows that you cannot do it. There is no way that you can make your heart flesh when it is stone. And God says, I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit within you because Adam sinned and death came into the world our spirits were dead see Jesus didn't come to make bad people good see if your heart was bad changing your heart your physical heart doesn't make you good it makes you come alive and Jesus came to make us come alive 
I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and do them. Why will we keep them? Why will we do them? Because now we can respond correctly to him. Because we are alive. Dead things can't respond. I don't know about you, but if something was dead, no matter how hard you kick it, it's not going to come alive. Unless the Spirit of God says, I want you to take this dead body and I want you to speak to it and you're going to watch it come alive. But in general, something dead is dead. And it will begin to stink and it will begin to decay. And that's why God came through Christ to give us something brand new. After Jesus came, when we had that heart of flesh now on the inside, he says this in Hebrews 10. Verse 16, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts and in their minds I will write them. And then he adds, their sins and lawless deeds I will remember no more. But pastor, you just read about a heart of stone. Where was the law given? Where was it written? On stone. You and I don't need anything external to tell us what is right and wrong. The Spirit of God on the inside of us already lets us know this is right, this is wrong. You begin to feel uneasy when you're in the wrong place at the, at the wrong time, doing the wrong thing with the wrong people who have the wrong heart. Because that's not who you are anymore. And that's what he says here. Their sins and lawless deeds I will remember no more. Who you, are, who you were before and what you used to do is under the blood. You are a brand new person. Alive unto God. So God gives us a heart transplant. A heart change. And in this place where our hearts are now soft and our hearts are now flesh and our hearts are now able to respond in this place, we now choose to bow our knee. We don't choose our way, we choose his way. In this place, we're hot. I mean, I know we're hot. But we're hot, we're humble, we're open and we're teachable. In Psalm. In Psalm 57, 51, 16 to 17, in the Passion Translation, it says this, For the source of your pleasure is not my performance or the sacrifices I might offer you. The fountain of your pleasure is found in the sacrifice of my shattered heart before you. What? A shattered heart before God? I thought God is supposed to fix our broken heart. This shattered heart is a heart of pride. A prideful heart is hard. You know, there is a medical condition, and Doc, you can correct me if I'm wrong, that there is a, a tendency for the heart to become hard physically. Layer upon layer upon layer of muscle begin to grow over the heart, and it begins to have a hard time pumping. And only a very skilled surgeon with a very sharp scalpel can come in and begin to take that apart little by little 
by little away so he doesn't damage the heart. See, God is not in the business of damaging our heart. God's in the business of restoring our heart. But the hardness of our heart is a choice. If we begin to think, we can do things. I don't need you anymore, God. I can do this on my own. It's like a layer going on top. But you and I here, we don't have hard hearts. We have soft hearts that want to hear from God. And it goes on to say, you will not despise my tenderness as I humbly bow down at your feet. This is a place of submission. It's a place of worship. It's a place of humility. It's a place of openness and teachability. When you are able to come before him and say, Lord, not my will, but yours be done. But you see, God gives us grace. Because if it's really in our own strength, that's hard to do. But he empowers us to be able to take those steps that are necessary for us to be able to be humble before him. Because in our humble, in, in our humility, he is the one that will now raise us up. And we don't get puffed up heads because we know it had nothing to do with us at all. In, in James 4, Verse 6, in the beginning of verse 7, it says, And he gives grace generously. God doesn't just give you a little bit of grace. He's very extravagant and lavish in his gift giving. And as he get, releases grace, it is generously poured out upon anyone who will receive as the scriptures say, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So, humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Oh, but the devil tempts me. Well, the grace of God is stronger to say no to temptation. You resist the devil, he has to flee. But to resist the devil means you have to bow your knee. For the devil to flee, you need to bow your knee to the Father God Almighty, who is the one who has empowered you to do what is necessary to live life out. So we humble ourselves before him. And as he, we humble ourselves, he lifts us up. See, as, and as we're lifted up, it goes back to Proverbs 4.23, where it says, keep your heart with all diligence. See, the reason that, the heart, that, you, that it's a matter of the heart is because your heart matters. Your heart matters. We're going to kind of break down this scripture, almost word per word, for us to get a full picture of what God is doing. Why does our heart matter? What is so important about our heart? Well, the reason we have to keep our heart with all diligence is because out of it flow the issues of life. So your heart determines the course of your life. What is in your heart, what you believe dictates where you're going to go, and how you're going to get there. 
So we need to keep our heart with all diligence. In Proverbs 27, 19, in the New Living Translation, it says, As a face is reflected in water, so the heart reflects the real person. How am I going to know who you really are? Is by spending time with you and hearing what comes out of your mouth. Because out of the abundance of the heart, your mouth speaks. So you can tell me this is what you believe. But the more I spend time with you, I'll know what you really believe. I'll know what you're really like. Your heart will begin to talk and tell me who you really are. So we need to keep. What does it mean to keep? When we say keep, it means to guard, watch over, protect, and take care of. Guard, protect, watch, and take care of. Why is it so important that we guard and protect our heart? Well, when I started, I said that our heart is like ground. And I likened it to Adam. When God had spoken, you need to tend and keep the garden. God was saying you need to protect. You need to watch over. You need to guard this garden. Why did he need to guard the garden? Because there was someone sneaky trying to get in. I mean, Adam could have asked, um, excuse me, God, why do I have to protect the garden? There's nothing here. See, God sees what's ahead of us. And he sees the tricks of the enemy. That's why he says, guard, prepare your heart. What is your heart? Your heart is a combination of your spirit and your soul. Your soul being your mind, your will, and your emotions. But your heart in Christ, your spirit in Christ is perfect. So it needs no protection because it is in its perfection. When God gives you something, he doesn't take it away because you were bad or you messed up or you missed the mark. It's already perfect, your spirit. But our mind, our will, and our emotion now have to line up and agree with what God has said and what he has shown us to be. And so now our soul needs to be protected. Our soul needs to be watched over. Our emotions cannot, the, cannot get the best of us. See, in the garden, you had a serpent come to Eve and say, Hey, did God really say you cannot eat of any tree? And Eve goes, no, God said. Now, what was he doing? He wasn't after her spirit. He was after her soul, where she could make a decision, make a choice on her own. And she goes, well, no, God said we can eat of every tree in the garden except this one. He said we can't touch it. God said to tend and keep the garden. He didn't say you cannot tend and keep the tree. See, your choice is always your choice. You cannot blame your decisions on anyone. 
That's why you need to guard your heart with all diligence. You know, when we think about diligence, we think about when somebody's diligent, they are consistent, they are constant. It's an everyday thing. It's not a one time, oh, I'm just going to be good and I'm going to follow what God says just this one time. No, every day we make a choice. Every day we have to watch over our heart. Every day we make a decision whether we're going to follow or not. So we guard our heart with all diligence. We begin to change the way we think. Doesn't that what, isn't that what Romans 12, uh, 2 says in the New Living? It says, don't copy the customs and behaviors of this world. But let God transform you by changing the way you think. See, that's why we need to guard our heart. Because there are always these thoughts that are trying to, bom- be, that are trying to bombard you with what the world thinks. The world is always speaking everywhere you go. And so we need to guard our hearts. Watch over. You know that word diligence actually means to create a hedge, a barrier to protect and preserve. So when you're saying you need to guard your heart, it's like God is saying you need to guard and guard your heart. You need to wrap your heart and protect it. You know, I'm thinking about, you know, like a a mother, a hen, when her chicks come, she puts them under her wing. When danger comes, she comes to protect them. She becomes the hedge to protect her, her children. It's the same with us. Something is always going to come, and we need to guard our heart. Because the very essence of life will begin to flow. What are we guarding our heart from? 1 John 5.21, New Living says, Dear children, keep away from anything that might take God's place in your hearts. It says, guard your heart from anything. Anything. Do you know for husbands and wives, your spouse can actually become one of those anythings? that takes the place of God in your heart. Your children could also take the place of God in your heart. A desire or a passion for something can take the place of God in your heart. In fact, it takes the place of God and becomes an idol that you worship. In Ezekiel 14, 3 to 5 in the New Living Translation, this is what Ezekiel was told by the Spirit of God about the children of Israel. It says, Son of man, these leaders have set up idols in their hearts. They have embraced things that will make them fall into sin. They have chosen to worship something else other than me. They have chosen to give their time, their talent, and their treasure to something else other than me. They have taken their money and invested it somewhere else, but my kingdom will last forever. See, an idol is dead. It can do nothing for you. And yet sometimes 
We don't even realize it, but those things that we allow, that we embrace, and we say, oh, that's mine, that's mine. Oh, I have a picture of Gollum in my head. And I hear him going, precious. But that's what it's like for us. My precious. It consumed him. If you've ever watched Lord of the Rings, I'm like, okay, and The Hobbit. You'll see it there. But it so consumed him that it changed him into a monster. We want God to so consume us that we're transformed into his image. The Bible says in ever-increasing splendor. He's the only one that can actually consume us in a way that it doesn't burn us up and we lose ourselves completely. No, it's in him that we find who we are. We find out who we really are. So how do we keep our hearts with all diligence? Are you interested? Proverbs 4, 20 to 22 is the secret in how you're going to keep your heart with all diligence. And it begins this way. My son, pay attention to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Do not let them depart from your eyes. Keep them in the midst of your heart, for they are life to those who find them and health to all their flesh. It begins with my son. I love that because it, when you talk about son, it means there's a relationship. But it isn't just any relationship like a father and a child. No, a son is somebody who can actually represent the father if the father were to send him out. To do exactly as the father would do because he has the heart of the father. And so he says, my son, my son, give attention to my words. Give attention. What does it mean to give attention? It means to focus. It means not to be distracted. Actually, one of the words means to incline. But it doesn't, don't we hear incline? Well, we incline and we incline. We hear and we hear. We guard and we guard. What is God saying? It's pretty important that you get this. When God repeats something, it's meant for you to grab hold of. So he says, pay attention to my words. Focus on what I'm saying. What is so important about what he is saying? We need to hear and we need to listen to it. Have you ever sat in front of somebody and then they begin to speak of somebody you know? And all of a sudden your ears go, and you find yourself beginning to, Lean back a little bit more. Get a bit more comfortable. Because now your attention has been caught. You can be listening to me right now, but you hear somebody talking in the back and you go, oh, hmm. You are now hearing and listening with intention. See, when you give your, when you give your attention, it's with Intention. Intention to do what? Intention to do what you hear. And the word there that, that give attention to my words, 
that, that word, words there, is the Hebrew word dabar, which means speech or, or, or saying, and it also means a thing. I love that because when God speaks, things happen. When God speaks, things are manifested. His word comes alive. So give attention to what I'm speaking, what is coming out of my mouth, because as you give attention to it before your very eyes, it will become something that is tangible, manifested, something you can hear and touch and feel for yourself. It becomes yours. So give attention to my words. Everywhere we go, there are words. Everything we see has been created by words. You see a picture in your head, but you have to begin to describe with words or write it down with words what it is that you see so somebody can understand it. Everywhere we go, word, word, word. The pictures that you see on billboards still need a caption to capture your attention. Because you see it and you're like, what's that for? But the words now capture your attention and you go, ah, I know what that's about. And those words begin to go into your heart. Why? Because your heart is ground. That word is seed. The sower sows the word. It doesn't say a good word. It doesn't say a bad word. It just says that the sower sows the word. And it is up to the heart to receive the word. You know, the word out there in the world is packaged pretty nicely. You want to partake of it, but inside it's rotten to the core. You don't want that rottenness to grow. You don't want to give it any place in your life. But there are words that dominate our world. How many of you have social media? Come on. It's like not even half raised their hand. I'm pretty sure we all have some form of social media. Whether it's Facebook, whether it's Twitter, whether it's Snapchat, whatever it is, there are words that are being released. And some people are addicted to the words that they're reading. That's for somebody in here. Maybe that's for me. But some of you are so addicted to social media that, it, that, that has captured your attention and it consumes you. You have a hard time not checking Facebook. You have a hard time not scrolling through everyone's stories. And some people you don't even know. You're just mindlessly going through words that mean nothing to you. God doesn't want those words to dominate our thinking. So I have a couple of questions for you. What are you listening to? What are you watching? What are you letting in to your heart? Because there are two ways that those words are going to get in. Through your eyes and through your ears. Those words will come in into your heart through what you see and what you hear.
So when you say you need to, go, when God says guard your heart, how are you going to guard your heart? You're going to guard what you're looking at and you're going to guard what you're hearing. You need to guard those two areas. I was sharing this last night. How many of you have ever like watched Jaws? Like only three people. Never mind. How many of you ever watched a scary movie? Okay, not anymore. I'm not, there's no condemnation. I'm just asking. At some point in your life, how many of you have ever watched a scary movie? Okay. If you turn off the volume, it's not as scary. True? Isn't that interesting? You turn off the volume, and you're not as scared anymore. But I guarantee you this. Even with you watching, you will begin to dream about those things. And you can't figure out, how come, I was in that, how come that character was in my dream? Oh, maybe because I had watched it just before I went to sleep. Eye gate. But the moment, and if you turn off the TV, or not turn off the TV because you need to hear something, but if you, you have no picture but you can hear, it's still just as scary. Because your imagination now is going crazy. I watched Jaws as a kid. Now, for those of you that don't know Jaws, Jaws was this massive great white shark that just seemed to kill everyone. And I watched Jaws as a child, and after that, the moment I got into a pool, I could hear, dun-dun, dun-dun-dun-dun, dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun. I'm in a swimming pool. There would be no great white shark in a swimming pool. And my imagination was Jaws was going to pop out of the drain. And he was going to eat me. When I go into the ocean, I love the, I love the water. But I can still hear, dun-dun, dun-dun-dun-dun. Thank you, Lord. I'm delivered. But imagine the power of your hearing. See, that's how faith comes. By hearing and hearing what? The word of God. But it is actually the word of Christos. It is that living, breathing word. That it becomes so real to you about Jesus Christ that your faith comes alive and you say, that's mine. But you don't hear it just one time. You hear it over and over and over again. It's not that you just heard the word. It is a constant present time hearing and hearing of the word. But you see, faith, uh, fear comes the same way. Fear will come as you keep on hearing and hearing the bad news in the world. The bad news about God. You know, there is no bad news about God. There's no bad news about Jesus at all. It's good news. But all the world tells you is bad news. So fear and faith come by your ears. They come by your hearing. They come by your listening. That's why he says, give attention to my words. Incline your ears to my sayings. What is he speaking to you? What is he saying to you? In Psalm 119 and 130, it says, the entrance of your word gives light. 
Or in the Amplified, it says, the entrance and unfolding of your word gives light. I love that, that it gives light. But I love the fact that it's not just about it coming in, it needs to be revealed. The word needs to be seen. And how can it be seen if light is not present? And the light that is given is the spirit of God coming in to illuminate the word or reveal the word. That's why Paul says in Ephesians, I pray that the spirit of God, the spirit of wisdom and revelation come to flood your hearts or to open your eyes, flood your eyes with light. Why? So that you can see. What does he want us to see? What is the hope of our calling? That God has called us each by name and he has given us a hope and a future. That he wants us to see this hope of our calling. He wants us to see what are the riches of the glory of our inheritance in Christ with one another. Our inheritance with the saints. You and I are saints according to what the Bible says. And what is the exceeding greatness of God's power that is at work within us? It is the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. Pastor Tom talked about that the last time he was here. That that power is on the inside of us. Resurrection power. Resurrection power. Death cannot conquer it. Death has no say. In fact, the resurrection power goes, shh, shut up. You have no say here. You can't speak a word. I have the final say. Life is always greater than death. But this light comes in, and he begins to unfold it. There is a depth to his word. You may have heard this word time and time again, but I pray that our hearts are so soft that we want to dig deeper into the word that we hear. It says, incline our ears to, our, to his sayings. When we incline, we're actually lifting ourselves up to hear. It doesn't say decline your ears to my saying. It says incline, lean in. Hear from a higher place what's being said. What is he speaking? And I believe this with all my heart. God is never silent. Oh, but pastor, I've, you know, there are times in my life, there have been seasons where God has been, that he's been very quiet. Well, God can speak in a still, small voice that is ever consistent and ever constant. And maybe the reason you don't quote unquote hear him is because it's exactly the same thing he told you before because you haven't done it yet. That might be for somebody here. But I believe that he's always speaking. If God puts a premium on words, he will always be speaking to you. He will always be speaking to you. So we need to incline our ears to his sayings. In Luke 6, 45, New Living Translation, it says, A good person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart. And an evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart. What you say 
flows from what is in your heart. So what do you say about your situations? Do you line it up with what God says about you? When your wallet is empty, do you say, well, I'm broke? I just simply say, Lord, I thank you that my wallet is going to be filled with friends from many different nations. It may be temporarily empty because it is calling out to its friends, come home. Your body may be feeling symptoms. What do you say about it? We don't deny that there are symptoms, but we speak the higher truth. That by his stripes we were healed. And so our body needs to begin to come in line with that truth. See, when it talks about keeping your heart with all diligence, for out of it flow the issues of life. After that, in verses 24 to 26 in Proverbs 4, he speaks something very, very, um, it seems simple, but it's also profound. Because sometimes we don't think about it. In the, mes- in the voice translation, it says, do away with any talk that twists and distorts the truth. Do away with any talk that distorts or twists the truth. Have nothing to do with verbal trickery. Keep your head up, your eyes straight ahead, and focus, and your focus fixed on what's in front of you. What's in front of us? Jesus. He is our goal. And we forget our past and we continue running on to the finish line where he's already finished it for us. And he has his arms raised as you're coming in. And he says, we both have the victory. Our eyes straight ahead. Take care. Take care you don't stray from the straight path, the way of truth, and you will, re- you will safely reach the end of your road. So what does it say? It says, my son, give attention to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Do not let them depart from your eyes. What does it mean to depart? It simply means this. Don't allow what you see to be, become perverted or twisted or lost from view. You have to be purposeful about what you put in front of you. Joshua 1.8, what does it say? This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. It doesn't say eyes. But for it to not depart from your mouth, you need to be seeing it. You need to be reading it. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. You shall meditate on it day and night. The meditation is not, um, um. You're not emptying your mind. You're supposed to be filling your mind. The meditation here is filling your mind with the word and speaking it, muttering it day after day, second after second. Meditate meditate on it day and night that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and you will have good success. Why? Back to the beginning. It is your responsibility to keep your heart with all diligence. 
Because as you keep your heart with all diligence, you will make your way prosperous. You will have good success because what's ever before you is his word. His word. So we don't allow that to depart from our eyes. Then he tells us to keep them in the midst of our heart. Now it's interesting because it says keep your heart with all diligence. Keep this in the midst of your heart. But you know those two words are two different words. They're not the same word. This particular word for keep, it means to observe, to take heed of, to have charge over. It also means to keep watch, ward off, protect, and save your life. When you keep it in the midst of your heart, you are now warding off anything that may try to take God's place in your heart. And by doing so, you are saving your life. I remembered something else that God had given us to help build a barrier or a defense around our heart. Paul complained about his thorn in the flesh. And God tells him this, my grace is sufficient for you. That word sufficient means to build or raise a barrier, to create a fortress or a wall, a defense around what? Your life. My grace is sufficient for you. God's not saying the grace of this person is for you or, or the grace of this other person. No, my grace. My grace will build a barrier. What do we do with grace? We receive it. We don't earn it. We don't strive for it. No, we receive. And he says when you receive it, he will build a barrier to protect your heart because now you have chosen him above all else. My grace is sufficient for you. That word sufficient also means to possess unfailing strength. You and I in Christ, because we have received his grace, have unfailing strength. No matter how weak you feel, you and I have unfailing strength. His strength, his ability, his person will not disappoint you. He will not fail you. He will not leave you. He is always with you. My grace is sufficient for you. My strength, his dunamis, miraculous power, explosive power that is available to all who believe, says it is made perfect in weakness. It comes to its fullness when we are powerless in our own ability. That we are enable in and of ourselves to produce God results. Why? Because when we allow him to, only God can produce God results. And so he says to keep, keep his word, keep this in the midst of our heart. What does it mean to be in the midst of something? It means to be in the very middle, in the very center, the very core of something. And the only thing that can show you what is at the core, the essence of your life, is the word. 
Only the word highlighted by the spirit can show you what you really, really believe. In Hebrews 4, 12 to 13, in the message paraphrase, it says, God means what he says. What he says goes. His powerful word is sharp as a surgeon's scalpel, cutting through everything, whether doubt or defense, laying us open to listen and obey. Nothing and no one is impervious to God's word. We can't get away from it no matter what. In the Passion Translation, it says, For we have the living word of God. The living word. Not just, a, not just words on paper. Ink and paper that mean nothing. No, a word that has come alive because of the Spirit of God. We have the living word, which is full of energy. And it pierces more sharply than a soldier's sword. It will even penetrate to the very core of our being, where soul and spirit, bone and marrow meet. Splitting them in two, it interprets and reveals the true thoughts and motives of our hearts. The word. But you see, God allows his word to come in to your very core, so that you know what you believe, not to shame you, but to correct you so that you can make the adjustments necessary. See, when the word comes, you could be sitting here and a word comes and you go, ooh, Lord, that hurt a little bit. Nobody else knows. Nobody knows what you've been thinking. Nobody knows what you've been saying. Nobody knows how you've been living. God does. He sees and knows everything. And he doesn't want to shame you. So when the word is released, it's there to go into your very core so that you can deal with whatever needs to be dealt with. And the corrections necessary to keep you on track. He gives you the strength to do because you trust him to do the operation. You know who wants to shame you? The devil does. He wants everybody to know your dirty laundry. He wants everyone to know every mistake you've made. That's why God allows us to be corrected personally. As we're sitting there, as the word is released, because now we begin to con we shine brighter. We're being refined in the fire. The fire is there to burn off the unnecessary things. But it also is there to make what's present, his glory, shine ever brighter in your life. So that word is released. But he tells us to keep it in the midst of our heart. Why? When we keep it in our midst, in the very core of our being, the Bible says that life is released to those who find it. What does it mean to find? It means to acquire. It means to grab hold of. It means to make yours. I actually like this, this um, description. When we talk about find, it means to meet and encounter. See, life is meant to be met and encountered, but real life only comes from Christ, from a person. 
says, we keep it in the midst of our heart, for they are life to those who find them and health to all their flesh. What does it mean to have health? It means to be medicine to your flesh. It means to cure the disease. It means to bring healing to your body. It means to be a remedy, prophet. It means to be whole. When he says health to your flesh, he's talking about your physical body. Tap your neighbor. That's flesh. If your hand went through, it's not flesh. But this is flesh, and God says that his word, as we listen to it, as we pay attention to it, it brings a health, it brings medicine, it brings healing, it brings wholeness. It causes us to profit and benefit in every way. When we keep it in the midst of our heart. And then it goes, keep your heart with all diligence. I mean, when you begin to look at all of that, you're like, wow, I have such a treasure on the inside of me. Protect what you have. Protect what you have, but share who you have. Because what he has given you is meant to be given to others, but you don't allow the enemy to steal it from you. Proverbs 4, 20 to 23, Passion Translation says, Listen carefully, my dear child, to, to everything that I teach you, and pay attention to all that I have to say. Fill your thoughts with my words until they penetrate deep into your spirit. Then, as you unwrap my words, they will impart true life and radiant health into the very core of your being. So above all, guard the affections of your heart, for they affect all that you are. Pay attention to the welfare of your innermost being, for from there flows the wellsprings of life. As I end, do you know that Jesus in these scriptures can be seen very clearly? What? I don't see Jesus here. The only reason that God can call you my son is because you are in the son. Bible says we have been, be, we've been made co-heirs with Christ. My son, pay attention to my words. There's only one word that God speaks over and over all throughout the Bible. He is the word. Jesus is seen from Genesis to Revelation. John tells us, in the beginning was the word. But pastor, I don't see Jesus in the beginning. What did God speak out? That the Holy Spirit made manifest. The word. The word brings light. That ties in with John. Because that light was the life of men. Who do you keep in the midst of your heart? Who is in the very core of your being? Who has taken the throne, the kingship, lordship over your life? Jesus. Jesus. Who do we hear and who do we see? 
When Peter, James, and John were on the Mount of Transfiguration, they saw Jesus with Moses and the prophets. But God the Father speaks and he says, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am, who am I am well pleased. He is the apple of my eye. Hear him. There's nothing wrong with the law and the prophets, but the law and the prophets pointed to Jesus. And when they heard that, they fell on their face, on their faces. And when they looked up, Moses and, and, and um, Elijah were gone. And they saw Jesus only. Our eyes need to be fixed on him, away from all distraction, looking unto Jesus who both began and finished this race that we're in. And that Jesus is the very essence of the life that we live. Because he is life itself for us. That's why I love the word, because it's so alive. And if you look for Jesus, you will find Jesus. He wants to be found by you. Amen? Did you receive something this afternoon? I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. For some of you today, you've never received Jesus into your heart. But I believe that today you've seen him and you've heard him. And the father says, son, daughter. And you go, are you talking to me? And he goes, yes, because I see in your heart that today you've chosen to believe. Believe that Jesus, the Son of God, became man to become your substitute on the cross so that you would have a change of heart and that you would have real and everlasting life. So I'm going to count to three. And on the count of three, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. You just acknowledging... I hear him calling, and I believe today. One, two, three. Thank you for your hands. This is about a relationship with the one who loves you the way you are, but, but his love will transform you to the way he is. Now you're going to put your hands down. The Bible says that when we believe with our heart and we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, we will be saved. So... Everyone is going to pray this with you. So pray this with me. Heavenly Father, I thank you that today I saw and I heard Jesus. He was speaking to me. Today, I invite him into my heart and I know that he's there to stay. I thank you that today I have been made your son and daughter. I have been made your son and daughter. And that I am blessed. And that I am blessed. And that can never change. Can never change. Today. Today. I have real life. I have real life. And I'm going to live it out loud. And I'm going to live it out loud. For all to see. For all to see. That Jesus is alive in me. That Jesus is alive in me. In Jesus' name I pray. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. And amen. And amen.
Thank you for listening. For more information, follow us on social media or visit us at newlifethefort.com. Thank you.